Hey, is that better? All right. Welcome, family. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm excited to be together with you. I feel like I saw almost all of you a few hours ago, because I did. Um, we had events all day yesterday, um, from Braxton Tope sponsoring the, the Talk, Read, Sing, which if you haven't been to that, and you've got a small child or are willing to pour into a small child's life, is such a blessing. It was so cool seeing kids get excited about being together and excited about stuff that's, that's beneficial for them, not just for their minds, but for their hearts. Um, and it's really cool to follow that up with an amazing free event that we had with the, um, the Freedom Fund thing with all the, the blow-ups. I had way too much fun hosting the laser tag, as you can see. Got a little crispy on that. Took the uh, instructions to be well done a little on the wrong way, maybe. But um, either way, it was, a, it was an amazing time. The Nerf War was epic. You know, it's always fun having a good excuse to, to annihilate small children with Nerf guns. So um, it was an amazing time. And all of it, the reason we did all of it was because we are firmly convinced that we have a God who loves us desperately and has called us to love our community desperately as well. And so the point of doing all of that was to bring as many people in as we could, love on them, show their kids some love, and, and just welcome them into a family that operates differently because we've been loved differently and, and we want to share that with others. Um, so that's why we do everything we do. It's why we get excited about being together as a family, and it's why we get especially excited about guests coming in and, and you being a part of the service. So if you're our guest, you're our honored guest. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm excited for God to either start something new in you or to continue something in you that He's already begun um, in your time here. So um, our, our theme uh, for the, this series that we're in right now is called More Than Words, and it's, it's based on um, the Bible, obviously, but it's inspired by a song by Extreme, which was a, a heavy metal band from the early 90s, which is, if you got a chance to watch any of their music videos last week um, after the sermon, they're hilarious now. Looking back on them, the styles are amazing. Um, and what's wild is it's a heavy, again, a metal punk band um, that, that wrote this song, but it's surprising. It's out of character for what they usually sing. And it's really the only song they did that pretty much people like. Um, but it was really good. And the theme of it was they're writing to these, these women they're involved with, and they said, man, you know, what I would love is, you know, you, you get in these relationships and you tell me you love me. And it's not that I don't want you to tell me that you love me, but just saying you love me is not enough. Like, I want you to live in our life together in a way where I don't have to have you tell me all the time. You don't have to remind me all the time that you love me. If you treat me like you love me, then I already know that, and you don't have to tell me all the time. And you see that in relationships sometimes. It's usually, you know, the guy is, is who you think of doing this. Is, you know, you mess up, and then you, you, know, you come home with chocolates and flowers, and you say, I love you, baby. You're like, that fixes everything. Like, that fixes months of, you know, not doing any of the chores and, you know, and treating you bad. Um, it's not enough. Like, I, that's fine. Thank you for saying you love me, but... I, I need more than that, because when you just say it and you don't show it, it just doesn't feel very real. Um, and so in our relationship with God as a church, we're going to be talking about three words that need to be more than words. We're going to talk about faith and hope and love. And, and those are the things that the Bible says will endure beyond all the miraculous stuff that Jesus did, beyond all the miraculous stuff that, that you see the apostles doing early on. So what really matters and what's really going to stay is faith and hope and love. But when we say those things as a church, it needs to be more than words. And so that's what I want to do, you know, as we go through the next few weeks is, is talk about, we started on faith last week, we're going to continue it today, but, but in our church family, I don't want us to have to keep reminding God, I have faith, I have faith, and then live a different way, like that's the flowers and chocolate that God needs, right? I want Him to just 
look at my life and know that I have faith. I want there to be evidence in my life of my faith so I don't have to keep reminding him of how faithful I am with my words, right? Um, it's okay to say I have faith in you, God, but it's, it's got to be more than just words. So in week one, just to recap real quickly, we talked about the faith, as in God's systematic teaching revealed in Scripture. When it says the faith, there is a certain way that God calls on us to worship Him and to love Him. We can't just make it up as we go. We don't get to decide what that looks like. God already laid that out, and it's on us to trust in the God who made that up. So, um, you know, in, in Acts, there's a story we pulled from. Um, in the book of Jude, it talks about, in the book of Acts, it talks about priests believing and being obedient to the faith. Um, and, and what the faith means, and we found from Jude 3. And the three things we talked about are that, that the faith was delivered once for all time to the church by God. That he gave it one time. There's not like version 2.0 that we're going to get in a few years or you know, updates that we need to it. God gave it one time and he did it right and we don't need anyone else fixing it later. Right? That, that God knew what he was doing when he set it up. And so whatever he laid out initially is what we're going to follow. And we don't, again, we don't need anyone else going in and, and changing it up. Um, the second thing we talked about is the faith in the faith that believers are obligated to protect and preserve the faith as in the truth. That we are as believers, obligated to watch out for our doctrine and, and what we're teaching and make sure that it adds up to what God says, that we don't start doing the opposite of what God said through our traditions. And you see that over and over again in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, where they have traditions that build up and you mean well. So, for example, you know, the Jewish leaders at the time, the Jesus time, had spent years and years building up. They're like, okay, this is what God says, but people would ask, well, how do we follow that? And they would make rule upon rule upon rule upon rule until sometimes their traditions got so far off base because they'd, they'd stopped checking back to the original that the rules that they made did the opposite of what God intended. And so it was you know, these guys who were supposed to be religious leaders who were supposed to be bringing people into the loving arms of God were instead tying up heavy burdens on people and making them feel bad and guilty and, and being a burden on them instead of a, someone who sets them free. And then finally, we said, you know, Satan is determined to distort the faith. That's, that's Satan's goal all along, is to sow disinformation and to sow dissent and to break apart the people of God so that we won't be effective, so that we won't be effective in bringing as many people into God as possible. And so what we do to protect against all this is to define our faith based on the Scriptures, not on how we feel, not on what's popular in culture today, but based on the never-changing, once-and-for-all-time Word of God. That we keep going back to that, and that's our home base. Because stuff shifts all the time, right? What's, what's right now is going to be wrong 20 years from now, right? We already saw it. You can just go back in 20-year chunks, and, and morality changes, and what's acceptable changes. And over and over again, you see all these changes happening in the world. And, and what you were proud of a few years ago, all of a sudden you're shamed for now, and vice versa. And so... Um, the only thing that doesn't change through all that time is the way that God has treated his people. Over thousands of years, he has been the same God all the time. He has always treated his people with the one goal of bringing us back into relationship with him. That's always been his mission. And everything he's done from creation to now has been with that goal in mind of wrapping us up in his arms. So last week we talked about what the faith is and what we do about that. Today we're going to talk about why authentic faith is vital in what authentic faith looks like. All right, we're going to talk about why authentic faith is vital 
and what authentic faith looks like. We could also use different words for authentic. We could use biblical faith. We could use saving faith, honest faith, complete faith. And we're going to look at some of the different angles on that. But authentic, I think, is what wraps it all up together. So why is it so vital that we have authentic faith? And the first reason that it is vital to have authentic faith is because we cannot please God without it. it is, the Bible says it is impossible to please God without having genuine faith. And God's greatest, if God's greatest desire is relationship with His people, and He can't have a relationship with us if we're being fake, then that means we can't please Him. If, his, if what He wants is relationship with us, and we're denying Him that by not being authentic, then it's, we're not pleasing God. And that's our main goal. In Hebrews 11.6, it just spells it out. It says, without faith, no one can please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that He is real, that He exists, and that He rewards those who truly want to find, who earnestly, sincerely seek Him. Not only can we not please God without an authentic faith, but what it says there is that He can't please us either. That all the things that God wants to give us, that He rewards those who what? Who honestly seek Him, who have an authentic faith. If we're not honestly seeking after God, we are cutting off whatever blessings He had coming our way. We are preventing Him from giving us those blessings. It's the same way, um, you know, again, there's a reason that God calls Himself our Father, right? If you, if you compare us to a rebellious child, right? If I want to give my child good things, but they're a little bit older and they're starting to make some really bad decisions, there are times when the good things I would give them are now a bad thing to give them because they're going to abuse it and maybe get into more trouble, right? If I've got a kid who will not stop going out into drinking, giving them a car is a terrible idea for him and everyone else, right? That's a horrible idea. If I have a kid who's faithful and going to be responsible with it, then giving them a car is a great thing. That's a blessing I am desperate to give them and want to give them. And I'm excited to give them because they're going to you know, be free and they're going to get to express themselves and, and have some freedom and maybe pick up their friends and, and be a blessing to them. And, and that'll be exciting. But again, if they're irresponsible, that if I am a loving father, then all of a sudden I cannot give that blessing that I wanted to give. And God is the same way, right? He's not going to give you. There are things He cannot responsibly give you if you are not being faithful and authentic with your faith. And that's why He says He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's not because He's trying to be judgmental. It's because He's being a responsible father. And that's what good fathers do. They don't just give without thinking about what their children are going to do with it. Number two, we need to have vital, it's vital that we have authentic faith because I cannot live a victorious life without it. I will not find victory in this life without a real, authentic faith. You know, faith has everything to do with our eternal salvation, but it also empowers the victories that we have in this life. It's also what enables us to overcome things in this life. Our authentic, our real, our honest faith is what lets us overcome. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. You know, maybe you're just here trying this out. And, and when I talk about God bringing victories in your life, you feel like, you know, we, we, I tried that and I don't see how it helped. And if I'm honest, in the times where I felt that way, and there are there, when I look back, you know, I, there were times when I liked the idea of God and when I liked being around people who liked God, but I was not all in, that I, I was not earnestly seeking Him. I wasn't making the changes in my life that would show that I was all about chasing after Him. And in those times when I was half-hearted and when I was, you know, for whatever reason, 
struggling to, to get on board, then those are the times where I really struggled to see victories in my life, where I kept falling into the same old patterns. And so there's a frustration there when you're going to church but not getting past the things that you're dealing with, that's very frustrating. You're like, man, I'm following the steps, I'm checking all the boxes, and I'm not seeing any changes. And that's super discouraging. And what God says is that there's more to it than just being around, that there's a level of relationship that's beyond that, that's beyond just sitting in a room together, but it's going to require us to have an authentic faith. And we'll go a little bit more into what that looks like here in a minute. So third, it's vital that we have authentic faith because I cannot be forgiven without it. We can't earn God's forgiveness. That, the Bible makes that abundantly clear. There's nothing you can do to earn God's forgiveness, to earn the right for Him to say, um, you are righteous, you are um, my son, my daughter. But the Bible is clear that without a real faith in God, we can't leave behind the life of sin that we've led up to that point. Right? You, only through faith in God can we overcome the, the mistakes that we make and the, the regular decisions, self-destructive decisions that we make. In John 8:24 it says I said that you will die if with your sins I said that you will die with your sins unforgiven if you don't have faith in me for who I am you will die and your sins will not be forgiven. And what what Jesus is saying is that again it's not to say that he wants that to happen but what he says is if I am the way and the truth and the life if I am the way out of your self-destructive patterns then if you don't follow me, the nature of that is it's going to end badly. If, if the way on a road that says one way, that if you see a one-way sign, that is not the sign judging you, right? That is just the sign telling you which way the traffic's going to go, whether you like it or not. And if you choose to express yourself by going the opposite direction, right, then you will be judged by that sign, right? Like that's, there are natural consequences to ignoring the one way to travel safely on that road. Right? And that's what Jesus is stating. This is just the nature of it. You are not strong enough to overcome the urges that you have and the temptations that Satan's going to throw your way. There's only one way to avoid that. And if we choose to seize control and, and seize our destiny and go the opposite way of what Jesus says, there are natural consequences to going that route. Right? And it's, not, it's just the way that things are. If I, I am not strong enough to control my own destiny. There is a... There is a spiritual war going on that I am not equipped to fight. And I've tried to fight it on my own, and I've tried to go out and do it my own way and, and, and try things my own way and ignore the advice that God has given me and the, the commands that He's given me. And every time I fall on my face, every time I struggle, and I, I end up making the same mistakes that I always made before, the only time I've escaped that is when I followed what He said to do. So I can't be forgiven without that authentic faith. And then finally, it's because I cannot be saved without it. Right? That's the, the negative side of these is like, I can't be forgiven, I can't be saved without it. Um, in Ephesians 2.8 it says, for it is by grace that you've been saved by faith. And so the positive side of all this is that with an authentic faith, we will please God, and we will live a victorious life, and we will find forgiveness from God, and we will be saved. Right? There's, a, there's another element to this. It's important to see why authentic faith is, is important from both ends of the spectrum, from what it will prevent us from having and then what it does give us when we have it. Because authentic faith means that we remember Jesus for who He is. And honestly, the most important part of who Jesus is is a God who loves us with everything He's got to the point where He would sacrifice anything to be with us. That is the essence of our relationship with God. That is the most important ingredient in our relationship with God. But we've got to remember that or we're not going to really chase after them the way that He's called us to. 
So one of the ways that we remember that is every week we come together and we take communion and we remember who it is that we serve. We remember what it is that drew us to God in the first place. And so we have um, bread in the back and, and juice and, and we remember the time where Jesus passed around bread that he'd broken and um, for him it was wine, but it was, the point was when he passed it around and he said, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood poured out for you. The point of that was, I need you to remember the way that I loved you. I need you to remember the way that I currently love you. Because that is the only thing that will keep you from doing the selfish things that you want to do. And the only thing that will draw you into my way, the way that's safe and the way that's, that's full of victory and all the things that we've talked about. So I'm going to pray. We'll take communion together um, in the back and then we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll continue from there. Um, Father God, thank you for showing us what authentic love looks like. Father, showing us by your actions. No one could look at the way that Jesus lived. No one could look at the way that he loved and question how much he loved them. We didn't need Jesus to tell us that he loved us, even though he does. Father, we could just look at his life and we could see that it was more than words. We could see that it was beyond social stigmas and, and biases and prejudices and everything else that he just loved in a pure way. And so, Father, I pray that we would love you in that way as well and then love others as well with it. Um, Fathers, we take communion. Help us to remember your Son in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when we talk about authentic faith, right? When I, when I say real, honest, complete, you know, authentic faith, when I say that, and when I say authentic or saving faith, it indicates that there is an existence of inauthentic and non-saving faith. If I have to specify authentic faith, and there's an alternative to that. If I have to say saving faith, and there's a non-saving kind of faith. Not every person that has faith in something is saved, right? That's not from me, that's from Scripture. Not everyone who has a faith sees the kind of transformation in their life that Jesus promised. And if I can't distinguish by words the difference between authentic and inauthentic faith, then I'm going to have a really hard time distinguishing in my life between authentic and inauthentic faith. And so my goal and what I would love and what God would love is for us to be equipped to understand the difference between the two, that I can look at my life and see, is my faith more than words, or is it me just yelling faith, faith at God when, I'm, when my life doesn't look like it, right? Is it just me bringing flowers and chocolate to God and trying to make up for the times I messed up? So when I look at the book of James, the book of James is written to a group of people that thought they only had to believe, or there were people there that thought they only have to believe and they were good, and so that's where we're going to go to kind of find the difference because he addresses exactly this. So what is, let's look at what inauthentic faith looks like and then we'll look at what authentic faith looks like. So inauthentic, non-saving faith is the kind that professes faith but not, does not produce faithfulness. It's the kind that says it has faith, that claims faith, but then when you look at the life that's behind it, it doesn't produce faithfulness. It's just words. It doesn't alter the behavior. You can't see in the life that it's something different. In James 2.14, he says, What good is it to say you have faith, to say you have faith, when you don't do anything to show that you really do have faith? Can that kind of faith save you? And when he asks, can that kind of faith save you? It's the same kind of question I ask when I find my kids' clothes in the bathroom floor, and I ask, did you get your clothes out of the bathroom? Right? I know I'm not really looking. Like I know everyone, we all know the answer to this, right? Like this has been a battle, we know, right? And so James isn't honestly wondering, can that kind of faith save you? It's rhetorical. He's saying, no, of course not. 
The kind of faith where you say you have faith, but nothing you have nothing to back it up cannot save you. So inauthentic, inauthentic faith says that it has faith, but it doesn't produce, faith, produce faithfulness. Number two, it is the kind, inauthentic faith is the kind of faith that creates fear, but does not create faithfulness. It creates fear, but not faithfulness. He become a destiny. I love that. And if you guys feel free to, listen, I want to tell you, a side note, okay, this is not about the sermon, but I want, just for my benefit, I want you to know, I came from preaching in the deep south, and so I got a lot of feedback when I was preaching. It was awesome, because I'm very shy by nature, and so it encourages me. So if you all ever feel the need to speak up, bring it. That's great. There we go. All right. So, amen. Inauthentic faith is the kind of faith that creates fear and doesn't create faithfulness. Here's how that works. The worst thing that you could do is to honestly understand and believe in God for who he is and not follow him. That's the worst place you can be, right? Because you fully acknowledge that we serve a God who is awesome and all-powerful and righteous, and then we live as his enemy, right? That's the worst spot you could be in. If you don't believe in God, you're not afraid of it, and you're just blissfully going on your way. It's not a good place to be, but it's better than being just living in terror all the time, right? And the best place to be is to be, have a God who is all-powerful and awesome and righteous and have him on your side. But the, again, the worst place we can be is to understand exactly who God is with all the fear that comes with that, the natural fear that comes with that, but then not follow him. Look, I want my God, and I've talked about this before, I want my God to be big and powerful, right? If you are in trouble, if you are in a battle that you cannot handle, the last thing you need is some wimpy little dude, you know, backing you up, right? Like, I need the carpenter, right, with the big muscly arms, and the, who's not afraid of standing up to Rome and religious leaders and anybody else, right? That's the guy I need, not the guy like fawning, you know, the blonde-haired dude who's all skinny, you know, fawning at the table, right? That's not Jesus. I need the guy who's not afraid of nothing. I want the God who can speak a word and solar systems start spinning, amen? That's the kind of God I need protecting me. I don't need this other guy who's like, I hope he does okay. You know, if you could kind of do better, that'd be awesome, right? I don't need that guy. I need the guy who's like, this is how it is, right? And, and this is how you be, this is how, I don't want someone who's like, I think you'll be safe if you do this. I need a God who says, this is absolutely the only way to be safe, and I need you to do this, or you will not be safe. I don't want, like, if there's a fire, I don't want you to be like, I think the exit's over there, but it might be over there. If you feel better going that way, that's fine, right? But I'm pretty sure the exit was kind of that way. Right? No, I need like, we got to go that way right now. I've been here. I've done this. I've seen the fire. I've seen the exit. Trust me, let's go. That's the God I want, who's big and powerful and knows what's up. But the God who's big and powerful and knows what's up, we can go on either side of him, and we need to be the ones who are, who are about it and who are with him. James 2, 18 through 19 says, to the man who thinks that faith by itself is enough, I feel inclined to say, so you believe there's one God? That's fine. So do all the devils in hell and they shudder in terror. All right, the devils are, the, the demons are the ones who truly are in the worst spot possible because they are under no illusions about who God is. They know exactly who God is, but it's bad news. And so he says, look, that's, that's not where you want to be. It is impossible to have the peace in your life that Jesus promises if we accept that God is real, but we don't follow him. How can you have peace in that situation? You shouldn't feel peaceful in that situation, right? And I'm not... Again, I'm not trying to come down on anybody. That's just the reality of the situation. If you have a father who loves you 
and is going to correct you. You shouldn't feel like everything's going to be great when you come home after abusing your brother or sister, right? That you shouldn't feel safe in that moment. You should be corrected in that moment, right? If we understand who God is and we don't follow him, that, that inauthentic faith, then it's going to create fear but not faithfulness. And you see that a lot. There's a lot of churches where they, you know, they'll come down on people, but then there's no relationship to follow it up. And so you just live in fear all the time, just hoping you don't like accidentally let a curse word slip right before you hit the other car, right? And then you're doomed, right? Like that's not the God that we serve. But that's, that's the relation. When you have inauthentic faith, that's the relationship that it sets up. Third, when inauthentic faith is the kind of faith that is dead and useless because it is incomplete. It's not all the way, it's not all there. See, the application of our faith is what completes it, right? If you have a relationship where you tell someone, it's the same thing we talked about in the song. If you have a relationship where you regularly tell someone you love them, but don't do anything about it, if it's inauthentic, then it is incomplete. I don't think the other person would say, we have a whole functioning relationship, right? It is an incomplete relationship. There is an element to it that is missing, and it's the same way within authentic faith. When we say one thing but do another, it's not all there. In James 2.20, it says, For my dear short-sighted man, can't you see far enough to realize that faith without right actions is dead and useless? Faith that doesn't change our heart, that doesn't change our behavior. Again, it's like a relationship where you treat the other person horribly and then say, I love you. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. There's something missing. In James 2.22, it says, So you see that what he believed and what he did were working together. What he did made his faith complete. And again, that incomplete faith might also be described as demonic faith. And I don't ever want to be described as having demonic faith. And I'm sure, James, even when I say that, I don't want to look at a crowd and say, some of you have demonic faith. That's not what I want to say. right? That's a, that's a harsh thing to say. And James says it not to try to scare anyone or to work anyone up, but it's just to say that this is how the demon, this is where the demons are at. They know who God is and they don't follow him, so they're afraid all the time. And I don't want you to be like that. Right? What is the, the one thing? Every time someone pops up bad in history, we say, this guy's, oh, that guy's like Hitler, right? And even if it's not a fair comparison, if you're in the conversation with Hitler, there's a red flag going up, right? Like there's something we, it's time to reassess. Right? Just like in the good sense, when you, when you talk about, you know, they'll share, I like listening to sports radio, and then they'll share a statistic, and they're like, the, guys who, the list of guys who've done this is like Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, and Michael Jordan, and that's the list. You're like, if you're even disgusted in that conversation, that's awesome. Right? Like, that's, a, that's a good thing. If you're disgusted in the same note as someone who's awesome, that's great, but if you're disgusted in the same note as someone um, who's a demon, literally, you know, then that's when we've got to wake up and say, okay, maybe I need to make some different choices. And that's what James is trying to wake people up to. So inauthentic faith is going to put us in some really impossible situations. It's going to be impossible to have the kind of relationship that God is, is wanting with us because inauthentic relationships make any relationship impossible. When you say one thing and do another, no relationship is tenable, including our relationship with God. All right, so let's have some fun. Let's talk about authentic saving faith. Let's talk about the good kind, right? And this is not designed... I don't, my goal in all of this is not for us to have a quiz next week that says, what are the two kinds of faith? And everyone raises their hands and says, authentic and inauthentic, right? I don't want us to be able to say the words and, and just get the concept. My goal would be that we would look at our faith and say, and be able to identify, be equipped to identify, is my faith authentic or inauthentic? And what do I do about that? 
Right? Do I have the right kind of faith? And not the right kind of faith according to Adam or according to Connect Church, but the right faith based on the Word of God. Amen? Amen. That's all we're going to base it on. And if I say something different, come up and talk to me later and we'll fix it. All right? Stay with me on this. This is, this is what authentic faith looks like. A complete, authentic, saving faith is the kind that combines faith and faithfulness. It combines my belief and my behavior, where they're all working together. Right? Where it's all coming together and you just see the whole thing. This is mentioned so often in Scripture, there's no getting around it. This idea that, that my belief and my behavior have to match up. When you see it in the lives of Abraham and Rahab, that's what James points back to. He picks two of the most faithful people in all of Scripture and he says, let's look at what their faith looked like. Let's see if they just said it or if it was more than words. So in James 2, 21 through 25, it says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And so God walks Abraham up, and he's, he's finally given him this son. When he's 99 years old, he's been waiting his whole life for the son. And God says, if you, if you love me, you will sacrifice the son. And he's terrified of it, and he goes up to the altar, and he's about to do it. And we find out later it's because he really trusted God to the point where he thought, even if, he, if I lose him, God's going to bring him back to life. But God stops him and says, I see that you're ready to lead my people. You don't have to sacrifice your son, but he was ready. And it says, you see, his faith and his actions work together. And his actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. As righteous because of his faith. He was, all, he was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And then he talks about one of the other most faithful people in scripture. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and then sent them safely away by a different road. So here's a woman who's got a lot in her life maybe that wasn't the way that God would have wanted it to go, who's made some decisions for who knows what reasons to to live a life that does not line up with the, the life that God has called us to. And yet, when her time came, when God called on her to be faithful, she stepped up. And now we use her as a role model, right? Now we talk about this woman that we want to emulate, Right? No matter what her past looked like, now she is a woman of God living out the, the call that he's given her. There is, there is a major proclamation in, in the Christian world called faith alone. And it's the idea that if you just have faith, then that's enough. And if you, if you define faith biblically, I'm fine with that. If you define faith the way that Jesus defines faith, that's great. But if you're defining faith as just believing in something and that you don't have to do anything about it, then I think Jesus and I both have an issue with that. The, the faith alone teaching was meant to combat a specific idea that it, there was a mindset going around that you could buy or earn your salvation. And so it combated that specific idea. But when you take that out of context and you say you don't have to do anything with your faith. Now now we've got a problem, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because anything that you believe in that does not show up in your life is not real belief. It's not real. And so, yes, is faith alone enough? A hundred percent, but it better be the, the faith of Abraham and Rahab and Jesus. Amen? That's the kind of faith that saves. Authentic saving faith is the kind that listens to God carefully. That's what authentic saving faith does. It listens to God carefully. Abraham heard directly from God, and he'd often question how things would work out, and he'd be like, are, you, are we sure? Like, is this, are you sure? But then he'd do it, right? And Rahab heard from messengers that God sent to her, right? But either way, both of them listened carefully to the instructions and then followed them to the letter. 
Even if they were nervous, even if they questioned it sometimes, they always followed through. See, faith comes by hearing, not, not just from hearing any message, but listening carefully to messages that, ra- that match up with the rest of what we see in Scripture. Right? The stuff that links up with what Jesus says, with what God says. Authentic saving faith is the kind that believes God entirely. Right? In our Christmas series, we, we went through um, a, lesson, a series of lessons on Mary. And we talked about how um, Mary's cousin Elizabeth got, got pregnant with John the Baptist right before Mary got pregnant with Jesus. And there were two different reactions. Elizabeth's husband goes to God and he says, um, you know, when he, when he hears about this, because he was older and he was surprised, he said, how can this be? It was a question of doubt. He's like, are you sure? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is really what's going to happen. I don't know if I believe you. He even laughs at God at one point um, for, for saying that he would have a son at that age. But when Mary comes around and Mary becomes miraculously pregnant, she asks the question, how will this be? Like, what does this look like for me? I am a young virgin mother. And there are a lot of people in history who've claimed to be virgin mothers and only one that was telling the truth, right? That Mary was the only one. And so she's got asking, understandably, how is this going to go down? Like, I'm, I'm in it. And she sings a song afterwards that shows how faithful she's going to be and, and how thankful she is for it. But it, it's okay. It's faithfulness, authentic faith does not mean that we're never scared or that we never ask, how will this be? How does this work? That we're never, Abraham, Moses, all the men of faith, all the women of faith you see doing this, asking, I don't know how this is going to work out. But what's cool and what shows that it's authentic is after the questions, they go and do it. Right? After the questions, you see their life reflected. Even if they don't have the answers yet, they still step forward in faith. They still act on their faith. You're not always going to have the answers. Right? When Abraham was called to leave everything that he knew, when Rahab was called to betray her own people, to save God's people, they didn't know how that would work out. The, the penalties for Rahab would have been atrocious. Right? This wasn't like a couple of years in prison stuff. This is like tortured to death kind of stuff that she's risking. But she did it. Her actions matched up with what she said. You don't, you don't follow like this unless you really have authentic faith. The, the faith that is so deep in your heart that it affects what you do. And finally, authentic faith, authentic saving faith is the kind that responds to God faithfully. Right? It listens carefully. Right? It, it pays attention to what God is saying. It, it listens in on what He's got going on. It believes God entirely, and then it responds to God faithfully. Jesus says, if we love Him, we will do what He says. Right? In 1 John it says, if you see a brother in need and you ignore them, you don't get to say that you love your brother. Right? If you see someone hurting and you pass them by, you don't get to say that you love that person. Because your actions don't match up. Faith and faithfulness go hand in hand. And those who claim faith but are not faithful are described as faithless. You cannot have one without the other. In James 2.26, I like going through different translations because it it gives you a, a chance to see things from a little bit different perspective. I'd heard the verse that said, faith without action is dead. But this is a cool way to put it. In the voice uh, paraphrase, it says, removing action from faith is like removing breath from a body. All you have left is a corpse. That's, that's strong, right? But I have to ask myself, am I a living, breathing believer? Or am I an empty shell yelling something that doesn't match up with the rest of my life? And that's the question that James is asking to people who want to say, I believe, but my actions don't need to match up with that. And this is a loving thing to say, because for someone who, didn't, who doesn't often feel 
like I am deserving of forgiveness. As someone who does not often feel like I am worthy to do anything significant for God. Right? As someone who's battled those feelings of insecurity for my whole life, this is good news. Because I've tried half-hearted. I spent so much of my life half-hearted of taking a half-step because I was too afraid to go the whole way. And then never finding any success because I was always afraid to go all in. Right? And I lived this life that was just paralyzed by fear. All the time I thought, you know, what if my friends find out what I am? What if, my, what if someone really finds out what I struggle with? What if someone you know, hears who I really am and rejects me, then it's all downhill. So I'll just never show anyone all of who I am. But when, when that's the life that you're living and God says, I will breathe full life into you if you will follow me, that's good news. It's scary news, but it's good news. And that's what he's done significantly over and over again in my life. Faith has never been a way out of difficulty. It has always been a way through difficulty. Right? God does not promise that your life will get easier by following him. When he talks about victory, he doesn't mean that all your problems go away. He doesn't mean that you'll have so much money that you'll never have to worry about it again. What he says is, and what Jesus modeled by his actions, is that you will have peace no matter what this world throws at you. That you will have a purpose where you can never deny your worth again. Or you will have a love where you can never feel isolated again because a God loves you so desperately that he would do anything to be with you. And then he surrounds you with people that feel the same. We want to be a place, our, our tagline, our thing that we say is, this is where the problems of this world connect with the power of God. Right? That's what we want to be. And that's what I want to be, that's what I want us to be, and what we want to be for you. If you're our guest here, here's what we're going to ask. We've got um, offering buckets that are going to go around. Um, that's the offering that our, our members give is awesome, and we have a very generous church um, and, and that's why we're able to put on things that, that can draw people in and, and that love on people. But if you're our guest, here's what we'd love. Instead of making a financial contribution, we'd love for you to fill out the Connect card that's in your bulletin and just tell us what are your problems that need to be connected to the power of God? What is the thing that you are struggling with? What, in what way have you been half-hearted and need to be whole? In what way are you hurting and need to be loved? In what way do you feel isolated and need community? And, and whatever that looks like, however we can come alongside you and love you in the way that we have been loved, and that is what we would like to do. Um, so I'm going to pray. We're going to pass around the offering. Um, and, and again, if you guys could share that with us, we would absolutely love to come alongside you and just share the thing that we've already been given um, because someone loved us enough to do it. Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, um, thank you for loving us relentlessly, for loving us authentically, for looking at us um, at a time when, um, for me, I was, I was lying to you, I was hiding from you, I was pretending to be something I wasn't, and God, of course you saw through all of that, and you loved me in a way that was pure and real, and then you brought people into my life who were real as well, um, even if I didn't believe it at first. And Father, it took, you know, <laughs> six or seven tries, you know, to bring me around, um, it took you being so patient with me, and I pray that we would be patient with others um, and patient with ourselves, even if it takes a few tries. Father, for those of us who maybe don't feel worthy, who feel like the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us or the things that we've experienced somehow make us exempt from all these promises you give, that, that we aren't worthy or capable of living a life that would honor you. Father, I pray that you would strip all of that away, um, all of that doubt away, and, and help us to see that we are not the exception, Father. We are not the one person that, that you can't save, but we are 
one of everyone else in this world who you love desperately and that you are more powerful than anything we've been through. Father, help us to embrace that. Help us to live that. Help us to be humble, to ask for help when we need it, um, to chase after what you want instead of what we want because we know that your way is better because you are the perfect Father. Um, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.